I wonder how healthy you are today. I mean, really, physically, I wonder how healthy you are. I wonder how spiritually healthy we are today. I wonder if we had a checkup, what would come about. Today, I want to talk to you about uprooting some healthy roots. (coughs) Excuse me. Last week, I had to go to a vigil uh, in Sunday evening, uh, just be the day before the Queen's funeral. Lots of dignitaries there, local MPs, uh, the Queen's lieutenant. I had to walk in beside her uh, in this procession thing, and uh, the Lord Mayor, uh, the Mayoress, all the procession, people carrying scepters and everything. So I get to the church on time, completely on time there, their early archway, what I thought was into the church. Uh, I thought, oh, there's the churchyard. There's a path going to a door. I walk through the archway into the, ch- into the churchyard and uh, walked around. There was no door. There was a little door. It was locked. I thought, oh, this mustn't be the entranceway. And unbeknownst to me, the, the churchyard's got all railings around it. And uh, unbeknownst to me, somebody shut the, the gate to the archway and locked me in the churchyard. <laughs> so I'm locked in the churchyard with the Lord Mayor waiting, the Queen's Consort waiting, the two MPs are waiting, they're waiting for the chaplain, and I'm locked in the churchyard. How many of you can be in church but you're not free? How many of you think that you can be in the parameters of church but you're locked in. I'm not going to tell you how I got out, but it was quite embarrassing to jump over the railings, down the alleyway, run round and join the procession. (laughs) But how many of you are in church today and I wonder if you're really free? I wonder if you had a medical checkup. Don't want to worry you. Happy Sunday, everyone. (laughs) I wonder if you had a medical checkup And I wonder if there'd be a few surprises. None of you are going to go to the doctors tomorrow now, are you? There's no doubt that thoughts affect our emotions. There's no doubt that if I showed you pictures of puppies with big eyes, that you'd all start going, oh, or at least the nice people amongst you would. The scariest parable in the New Testament, in my opinion, is the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the the wheat and the tares, where an enemy plants weeds into a field without the owner knowing. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, and while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat, and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds appeared, and the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in this field? And when the weeds, where did these weeds come from? And the, and the reply is, an enemy has done this. It's the scariest thing that I, that I think I read in, in the New Testament, that Without 
even our knowledge that the enemy can plant people, plant thoughts, plant things in our lives. Here's the truth, everyone, that we get attempted plantings in us most days, most weeks, and our job, our job is to make sure they don't develop into roots that we feed off, that things that would actually poison us. Paul wrote to Timothy in the sixth chapter, verse 10, he said, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That somehow the enemy plants in their minds some sort of affection for acquisition and it goes beyond natural ambition and becomes a poisonous root in their minds. That somehow some of the plantings in our hearts develop into roots that begin to damage us. The writer of the Hebrews said this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root root grows up to cause trouble. And then the writer uses this example that Esau, for a single meal, sold his inheritance for a son. That, That somehow something was planted in Esau's life that the immediacy of satisfaction gave away the long term of his inheritance. I want to ask you today, I wonder if everything that is rooted and developed in our hearts, how healthy that is. Um, I'm going to try and make this message light so that you can receive it, but it's a really serious subject. How do you know if you've, if you've got roots uh, that, that aren't healthy? What, the first sign is is that your progress in the Lord is a little bit confused, it's a little bit diluted, and actually, as you sit here today, that you would say, I don't know where I'm going as a Christian. I'm not not really sure what, what my direction is. Haggai put it this way, you've planted much and harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with a hole in it. How many of you felt like you're on a treadmill and you're not really progressing? And and what that means is we've allowed some thinking attitudes to root in our lives and we're feeding off them and they're hindering our progress. You can tell if you've got some roots in your life that you need uprooting and, and pulling out of your life if your relationships are are not easy, that, that with certain types of people, you always struggle. You know, whether that's authority, whether that's, whether that's uh, romantically, whether that's uh, emotionally, that, that actually uh, the, there are roots feeding us when our relationships are overcomplicated. Now, all relationships get complicated at times. I've been married to Kathy 45 years and still don't understand everything that she does. And she would look back at me and say, you should be married to you, buddy. (laughs) You know, we all have complicated relationships, but I wonder if you can notice a pattern in your relationships where you think it always stalls at this point. That's a root. It's a root that needs to be 
are uprooted in your life and taken out. When, when you're younger, um, sometimes when, when, you, when you're stressed, you're, you're emotional. When, when you're older, often that stress comes out physically and, and you just get sick a lot. But I wonder if emotionally we're healthy today. The Bible makes great promises around our emotions. He'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on Him. But there's a root sometimes living in our hearts whereby we think, you know what, my, it, my emotions are being fed the wrong thing. And, it, and it's too inconsistent. I want to talk about three important roots today that we need to pull out. The, the things that cause these things. Number one, first of all, when we have what I call a crystallizing event or a major event in our, our history or around us, something that happens that we get stuck in, that blocks our progress, that we need to get, no matter how terrible it was, or it could actually be really good. Anybody heard the good old days syndrome? You know, that when there was a revival back then, and have you ever met people who were living in back then spirituality? Oh, it's gone ever so quiet in here. I'm sure that's not the case here. But it's a crystallizing event that blocks our progress. And what needs to happen is we need to get God's mind on it. That actually God's perspective on it so that we can learn to live with it and through it. Do you remember Tiger Woods, the golfer? He's the world's best golfer by far. I don't know whether you're into golf or not, but he turned professional in 1996, and by June of 1997, he'd earned his first number one ranking. It took him just a year, less than a year. He was the youngest and fastest person to earn 50 victories on the USPAGA Tour. From 1994 to 2000, he held the top slot for 264 consecutive weeks. And then he held that top slot again from 2005 to 2010, and he was the top slot for 281 weeks. He was the youngest player to win what's called a career grand slam. If you don't know into golf, it means that you win the four hardest tournaments in one season, and he did that three times. And it is an amazing golfer. But here's the thing, something happened in 2006. In fact, in the middle of his momentum, and it took two years to play out, his beloved father, Earl Woods, died at the age, a young age of 74 of a sudden heart attack. And it began his career slump. And we might observe that in his recent years, his personal life and, and uh, some of the things with his back injury, I don't know whether I'm totally correct, but the passing of his father was a complete disaster to him. He was, in fact, on his passing, Tiger Woods said he was my greatest role model. Now, he did win in 2019. It's great to see him come back. But what can happen to all of us is we have a disastrous event that we just haven't got God's mind on. Something deep. It never goes away, and it's not that we get over it, but that we have to have Christ 
share his perspective and his mind on that which happened to us. And for some of us in this room, some terrible things have happened to us. I remember personally finding my own father dead. I was the one that discovered him lying by our car. We have to get God's mind on these tragic things that happen to us, that become a part of who we are. David, in the Old Testament, had a, a, a terrible event happen around a city called Ziklag, and that was his kind of uh, stronghold place where all of his wives and all of his companions' wives lived. The Amalekites came, took them all away, and the men were so bitter that they were thinking of stoning David. And it says this in 1 Samuel 30, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons, uh, of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord. David began to say, God, this is terrible. What is your mind on this? Now, it's not easy, and neither does it happen just in one prayer meeting, but God wants to share His mind with you over that season. God wants to share what His perspective is now. He's not going to say, oh, I'll change it. He's going to say, this is how to live from this point. This is how to it stop poisoning you. Or this is how for you to overcome that regret which we all have. Paul said to the second, uh, in 2 Corinthians, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we may comfort those in their troubles. The comfort we receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we will also share the comfort that abounds in Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and your salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort which produces patient endurance. One of the things that God wants to do is to take your experience and turn it so that you can serve others with it so that you can be a resource person to others. Not in a uh, mechanical way, but in a way in which we learn to walk, and even if that walking is with a limp. We have to ask God if we've allowed ourselves to get stuck in our pain. And of course, as I said earlier, there are some people who are stuck in some good things. They are stuck in a, in a kind of sense of the good old days, and that stops them moving into the reality of now. Now, of course, let's learn to see what God's mind is now. So the first thing is, if you've had a huge event in your life, begin to pray, begin to seek God, begin to hear what the Bible says, what's your mind on this? How should I live from this now? It's really important that you begin to uproot the things that have rooted into your life from that event. The second thing that causes unhealthy roots in our lives, first is crystallizing events. The second thing is soul ties. 
Now, soul tie is when we have an unhealthy tie to a person or a situation, but it's mainly to a person, where we inappropriately get our value and security from that person. They often drain our lives in such a way in that if they don't smile at us, our whole day has gone bust. If they don't say, well done, then we don't think we've done well. That actually we've inappropriately given our affirmation to a person in such a way that if they don't say we're okay, we're not okay. There's an incident in the Old Testament where one of David's sons loved a woman so much that he made himself ill. In fact, he pretended to be ill so much then that after he'd grabbed her and had his way with her, he began to despise her because she couldn't live up to everything that he made her in his mind. It's really important that we keep a perspective on the people we love. Have you ever heard those pop songs? In fact, there was a pop song, wasn't it? It was by a, a guy called Nielsen. Let me sing it to you. I haven't had me singing to you for a long time, and I know you enjoy that. I can't live if living is without you. I can't give. <clears throat> Some of you are joining in, aren't you? <laughs> I can't give anymore. Do you remember that song? John, do you remember that? You do. I mean, you know, you should be singing that to Jesus. I can't live if living is without you. I can't give. Who remembers that song? Yeah, this is the old crowd in this morning. Of course, there'll be some of you who don't remember it, even though you're older, because you were holy Christians and didn't live, listen to secular music in any way. But how ridiculous. To say, I can't live if living is without you. It's a nice thing to say. And you might not be able to imagine living without some people. But our source and our life is Christ. And even though loss is really difficult, very rarely does it completely do us in. Britney Spears burst onto the pop scene and uh, became a tremendous success. In fact, she's a tragic victim of her own success because as her fame grew, her dependency on her management and in particularly on her father grew and grew until she began to believe she couldn't do anything without their say-so without their affirmation. Whatever you think of the Free Britney campaign or whatever you think of a conservatorship in the American type of legal system, whatever happens, she was soul-tied so that she couldn't make her own decisions. We can't be bound to people in an unhealthy way. We, we, we love, we respect, we honor, we, we sacrifice for, we go the extra mile for, but you know, Jesus opposed this type of thinking where we said, I am so soul-tied to you, unless you say it's okay, it's not okay. Jesus opposed that because in Luke chapter 9, verses 59, it says this, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
Now, soul-tied people would say, of course, that's a reasonable thing to do. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It actually said there are times when your soul tie, even to your loved ones, is superseded by the priorities of the kingdom and the things that are right for you. I wonder if you are inappropriately tied to somebody in such a way that your security is not coming from a scriptural view of yourself or interactive relationships with people, but actually your security is being fed to you by somebody else. It's really important that if you are a leader of any level in any church, that you make sure that people are standing on their own two feet and living their own spirituality. Of course, when people are baby Christians, they depend on us. But the goal is that they grow up. Oh, hello. Can I hear an amen? amen? Their goal is that they don't need you to feed them everything, but you teach them to feed themselves. Can I hear an amen, church? Amen. Their goal is that, hey, you'll always need to come to church. We'll always need each other, but we don't need to be needy. Hello. Now, that's not to say we have to be harsh and say, oh, I'm never listening to you. Don't you know, didn't you hear Pastor Mark say, I don't want to be soul-tied to you. <laughs> don't do that thing. That is immaturity. But we all have to begin to sit, that soul ties are beaten when we see our purpose for ourselves and not always through somebody else telling us what our purpose is. And that doesn't discount advice and counsel, but at the end of the day, ultimately, you have to understand that if you're soul tied to somebody, they will ultimately disappoint you. They can't be all that God is to you. They will ultimately disappoint you so that one of the things that happens is you begin to resent them for disappointing you so much. One of the growing up things of, of uh, when uh, one of the things actually with teenagers is, is that they suddenly realize that their parents aren't as perfect as they thought they were when they were children. Now, don't lean over to your teenager and say that that doesn't apply to you. <laughs> because that's part of growing up, is realizing that people aren't quite as perfect as they were. Come and live with me and Kathy for a week, and you'll understand we've not got the perfect marriage. I'm not the perfect husband, and that Kathy, oh, yeah, she is the perfect wife, okay. <laughs> you... Learn well, men. Don't get yourselves in trouble where you don't need to. Learn well. Let me just mentor you, Doyen, a little bit on this. Don't be soul-tied. It's important that we love and respect each other, that we honor each other, but we don't become soul-tied in a way whereby our affirmation and security lies outside of Christ into other people. Give somebody a high-five and say, whew, that's good teaching, come on. 
Did I really do that? Let me move on. Third thing. You, we, the thing that gives roots in our lives, so the first thing is these crystallizing of events. Second thing is when we over-soul tie ourselves to people. Not that we should not deeply love each other, deeply from our hearts. That's a different thing. But the third thing is, sometimes we get stronghold beliefs in our minds. These are, and you know, that Paul said, don't we? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What stronghold beliefs are, are repeated patterns of thinking that focus the mind in non-biblical ways. They're ingrained in us. Some of us say, all men are liars. And that's because of the experiences we've had. But that thinking is ingrained in our hearts. And when I just said that phrase, some of you said, well, they are. (laughs) You've got a stronghold that needs to be broken. You see, we have to uproot these things that if we are to immerse ourselves in the right ways that God has for us. In fact, James says, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. You see, as well as the enemy trying to plant things in you, God is trying to plant truth in you all the time. And our job is to water the things that God's trying to do and starve the things that's been planted in us through the enemy, through our parents, or through, through our poor decision-making in the past. Those planting things, you've got to shrivel and die. There are three ways. Let me come into land. There are, there are three important things that you need to carry with you today if you're going to uproot these things. And, and break down strongholds. And these particularly break down strongholds of thinking, but also they'll uproot the other things as well. First of all, that the Father heart of God, that God is for you. You have to revisit your view of who God is and your relationship with Him. Can I say this to you? God's heart is for you. Now, there is, there is lots of discipline and picking up our cross, and there's lots of sacrifice in the Christian life, but we have to see that through everything that we do, you have a Father in heaven that says, there's my son, there's my daughter. If God had a fridge, it would be your picture on the fridge. God is for you, and his heart is for you. This is what John said, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And this is who we are. I'm a king's kid. I am, I am loved by the Father, and, and his heart is always pointing towards me. We have to learn to live in that truth, that, that God actually, his heart is so for you that you can't quench that. You can't, you can't make God angry so that he turns his heart away from you. There's only one person who God turned his heart away from, and he was on a cross, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was only one person that ever happened to, and he did it on your behalf. In fact, 
That's the second truth that begins to uproot things. You see, when you're soul tied to somebody, when you begin to say to yourself, you know what though, that God's heart is for me much more than anybody else can, it begins to diminish those soul ties. You don't have to have so much affirmation from that person. Now, we all love affirmation. I'm going to walk off this platform, and I'm going to lean over to Kathy and say, how did I do? And if she said, it was rubbish, I'm going to go, oh, no, that is terrible. We all need affirmation. So I want you to balance what I'm saying today, but you need to begin to say, but you know what, God? I know your heart is for me. So that affirmation is not as important as yours. Another real truth, though, that keys into that is that you need to begin to understand that God did not love you just in words and the words that he says, but he loves you in actions. That actually, Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And and we need to begin to see that, that actually the love that God has for us is not theoretical. That actually he died and went to the cross for you. So you are loved really. Yes, you with all your failings, with all your warts, with all your scars, with all the things that you have done wrong, Christ loves you, and he demonstrated that. And you're not missed out of that. So it's really important that you think, the Father's heart is for me, and I am actually loved, really. That's a great thing about God. He didn't just say, I love you, and send you a card. You know, and the famous thing that we say, I am with you in spirit. No, he came, died on the cross for you because he actually does love you. It's not a theory. It's a reality. Today, as you sit here, you are loved by the divine, most powerful person in the universe. Now, that's worth saying to your neighbor and saying, oh, you're loved. Come on, tell them. Come on, you're loved, but you're loved by God. Yeah, come on, lift your hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Come on. First truth that will uproot some of these unhealthy things, the Father heart of God loving you. The actuality of God's love demonstrated to you. But lastly, we live in a state of grace, not judgment. The normal state for a Christian is one of grace, not expecting to be punished all the time. Even when you do something wrong, that actually, I'm not preaching a cheap religion, just stay with me, that actually, as a Christian today, the grace of God is always over your life. That actually you're not in, out, in, out, in, out, your name's written down in pencil. That actually, when you've come to Jesus and accepted him, his grace is over your life. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, how the much more 
will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of his righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, But where sin increased, grace also increased even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so grace might reign through righteousness and bring eternal life through our Jesus Christ, our Lord. Your normal state of being is in the grace of God. Why do you think you should be punished all the time? Because you've allowed a root in your life from critical people in the past to poison your thinking about who you are. And it's time now that you plucked that out and said, I am in grace with God. That doesn't mean to say that because sin abounds, then we can, you know, we nullify the grace of God. No. It means that we come to God and say, God, I messed up, but I know that I'm still accepted. Deal with the reason why I messed up. Don't just punish me for messing up. You see, the heart that expects punishment all the time is never really changed. They are drunk on punishment and not really on the issue that they need to deal with. Oh, beat me and get it over with. Instead of saying, change me so I can live differently. In grace, with healthy discipline, with a discipline whereby we can live differently. Grace and discipline is where the real change happens. Stop beating yourself up and not changing. It's not helping you. Start receiving grace and God will change you. 